You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head over to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and there you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, Teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 255. And we are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 21, Paragraphs 643 to 649. Chapter 21 Pilate pronounces the sentence of death against the author of life. The Lord takes up the cross on which he is to die. His Most Holy Mother follows him. What she did on this occasion to restrain the devil and other happenings. 643 To the great satisfaction and joy of the priests and Pharisees, Pilate then decreed the sentence of death on the cross against life itself, Jesus our Savior. Having announced it to the one they had thus condemned in spite of his innocence, they brought him to another part of the house of Pilate, where they stripped him of the purple mantle in which they had derided him as a mock king. All happened by the mysterious dispensation of God, though on their part it was due to the concerted malice of the Jews, for they wished to see him undergo the punishment of the cross in his own clothes, so that in them he might be recognized by them all. Only by his garments could he now be recognized by the people, since his face had been disfigured beyond recognition by the scourging, the impure spittle, and the crown of thorns. They again clothed him with the seamless tunic which, at the command of the queen, was brought to him by the angels, for the executioners had thrown it into a corner of another room in the house, where they left it to place upon him the mocking and scandalous purple cloak. But the Jews neither understood nor noticed any of these circumstances, since they were too much taken up with the desire of hastening his death. 644. Through the diligence of the Jews in spreading the news of the sentence decreed against Jesus of Nazareth, The people hastened in multitudes to the house of Pilate in order to see him brought forth to execution. Since the ordinary number of inhabitants was increased by the gathering of numerous strangers from different parts to celebrate the Pasch, the city was full of people. All of them were stirred by the news and filled the streets up to the very palace of Pilate. It was a Friday, the day of the Perisive, which in Greek signifies preparation or getting ready. For on that day the Jews preparing themselves, or got ready, for the ensuing Sabbath, their greatest feast, 
on which no servile work was to be performed, not even such as cooking meals. All this had to be done on Friday. In the sight of all these multitudes, they brought forth our Savior in his own garments, and with a countenance so disfigured by wounds, blood, and spittle, that no one would have again recognized him as the one they had seen or known before. At the command of his afflicted mother, the holy angels had a few times wiped off some of the impure spittle. But his enemies had so persistently continued in their disgusting insults that now he appeared altogether covered by their vile expectorations. At the sight of such a sorrowful spectacle, a confused shouting and clamor arose from the people, so that nothing could be understood. But all formed one uproar and confusion of voices. But above all the rest were heard the shouts of the priests and Pharisees, who in their unrestrained joy and exultation harangued the people to become quiet and clear the streets through which the divine victim was to pass. In order that they might hear the sentence of death proclaimed against him, the people were divided and confused in their opinions, according to the suggestions of their own hearts. At this spectacle were present different kinds of people, who had benefited and succored by the miracles and the kindness of Jesus, and such as heard and accepted his teachings and had become his followers and friends. These now showed their sympathy, some in bitter tears, others by asking what this man had done to deserve such punishment. Others were dumbfounded and began to be troubled and confused by this universal confusion and tumult. 6.45 Of the eleven apostles, St. John alone was present. He, with the sorrowful mother, and the three Mary stood within sight of the Lord, though in a retired corner. When the holy apostle saw his divine master brought forth, the thought of whose love toward himself now shot through his mind. He was so filled with grief that his blood congealed in his veins, and his face took on the appearance of death. The three Marys fell away into a prolonged swoon, but the queen of virtues remained unconquered, and her magnanimous heart, though overwhelmed by a grief beyond all conception of man, never fainted or swooned. She did not share the imperfections or weaknesses of the others. In all her actions, she was most prudent, courageous, and admirable. Calmly she comforted St. John and the pious women. She besought the Lord to strengthen them in order that she might have their company to the end of the Passion. In virtue of this prayer, the apostles and the holy women were consoled and encouraged, so that they regained their senses and could speak to the mistress of heaven. Amid all this bitterness and confusion, she did nothing unbecoming or inconsiderate, but shed forth incessant tears with the dignity of a queen. Her attention was riveted upon her son, the true God. She prayed to the Eternal Father and offered to him his sorrows and torments, imitating in her actions all that was done by our Savior. She recognized the malice of sin, penetrated the mysteries of the redemption, appealed to the angels and interceded for friends and enemies, while giving way to her maternal love and to the sorrows corresponding to it. She at the same time practiced all the virtues, exciting the highest admiration of heaven and delighting in the highest degree of eternal Godhead. Since it is not possible for me to describe the sentiments filling the heart of this mother of wisdom, nor those at times also uttered by her lips, I leave them to the imagined by Christian piety. 646. 
The servants and priests sought to quiet the multitudes in order that they might be able to hear the sentence pronounced against Jesus of Nazareth. For after it had been made known to him in person, they desired to have it read before the people and in his presence. When the people had quieted down, they began to read it in a loud voice so that all could hear it, while Jesus was standing in full view as a criminal. The sentence was proclaimed also in the different streets and at the foot of the cross. It was afterwards published and spread in many copies. According to the understanding given to me, the copies were a faithful reproduction, excepting some words which have been added. I will not discuss them, for the exact words of this sentence have been shown me, and I give them here without change. Literal rendering of the sentence of death pronounced against Jesus of Nazareth, our Savior. 647. I, Pontius Pilate, presiding over Lower Galilee and governing Jerusalem, in felty to the Roman Empire, and being within the executive mansion, judge, decide, and proclaim that I condemn to death Jesus of Nazareth, and a Galilean by birth, a man seditious and opposed to our laws, to our senate, and to the great emperor Tiberius Caesar. For the execution of this sentence, I decree that his death be upon the cross." and that he shall be fastened thereto with nails, as is customary with criminals. Because in this very place, gathering around him every day, many men, poor and rich, he has continued to raise tumults throughout Judea, proclaiming himself the Son of God and King of Israel, at the same time threatening the ruin of this renowned city of Jerusalem and its temple, and of the sacred empire, refusing tribute to Caesar, and because he dared to enter in triumph the city of Jerusalem and the temple of Solomon, accompanied by a great multitude of the people carrying branches of palms, I command the first centurion called Quintus Cornelius to lead him, for his greater shame, through the said city of Jerusalem, bound as he is and scourged by the orders. Let him also wear his own garments, that he may be known to all, and let him carry the cross on which he is to be crucified. Let him walk through the public streets, between two other thieves, who are likewise condemned to death for their robberies and murders, so that this punishment be an example to all the people and to all malefactors. I desire also, and command in this my sentence, that this malefactor, having been thus led through the public streets, be brought outside the city through the Pagora Gate, now called the Antinonian Portal, and under the proclamations of the herald, who shall mention all the crimes pointed out in my sentence, he shall be conducted to the summit of the mountain called Calvary, where justice is wont to be executed upon wicked transgressors. There, fastened and crucified upon the cross which he shall carry, as decreed above, his body shall remain between the aforesaid thieves. Above the cross, that is, at its top, he shall have placed for him his name and title in the three languages, namely in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And in all and each one of them shall be written, This is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, so that it may be understood by all and become universally known. At the same time, I command that no one, no matter of what condition, under pain of the loss of his goods and life, and under punishment for rebellion against the Roman Empire, presume audaciously to impede the execution of this just sentence, ordered by me to be executed with all rigor, according to the decrees and laws of the Romans and Hebrews. Year of the creation of the world, 5233, the 25th day of March. Pontius Pilatus Eudex et Gubernator Galilea 
inferiores pro Romano Imperio, qui supra propria manu. Pontius Pilate, judge and governor of Lower Galilee for the Roman Empire, who signed the above with his own hand. 648. According to the above reckoning, the creation of the world happened in March, and from the day on which Adam was created until the incarnation of the Word, 5,199 years, adding the nine months during which he remained in the virginal womb of his most holy mother. In the 33 years of his life, we complete the 5,233 years and three months, which according to the reckoning of the Romans intervened between the anniversary of his birth and the 25th of March, the day of his death. According to the reckoning of the Roman Church, there are no more than nine months and seven days to the first year, since it begins its count of years with the first of January of the second year of the world. Of all the opinions of the teachers of the Church, I have understood the one which corresponds to the reckoning of the Roman Church in the Roman Martyrology to be the correct one. This I have also stated in the chapter of the Incarnation of Christ, our Lord, in the first book of the second part, Chapter 11. 649. The sentence of Pilate against our Savior, having been published in a loud voice before all the people, the executioners loaded the heavy cross on which he was to be crucified upon his tender and wounded shoulders. In order that he might carry it, they loosened the bonds holding his hands, but not the others, since they wished to drag him along by those loose ends of the ropes that bound his body. In order to torment him the more, they drew two loops around his throat. The cross was fifteen feet long of thick and heavy timbers. The herald began to proclaim the sentence, and the whole confused and turbulent multitude of the people, the executioners and soldiers with great noise, uproar and disorder, began to move from the house of Pilate to Mount Calvary through the streets of Jerusalem. The master and redeemer of the world, Jesus, before receiving the cross, looked upon it with a countenance full of extreme joy and exultation, as would be shown by a bridegroom looking at the rich adornments of his bride, and on receiving it, he addressed it as follows, which we will read tomorrow, because this concludes our reading today for day number 255. We've been reading from volume 3, book 6, chapter 21, paragraphs 643 to 649. Our reading today first tells us that Jesus was unrecognizable, that he had been beaten so much that you wouldn't be able to know who he was if you saw him. And that made me think about the resurrection. Firstly, because lots of people, when Jesus appeared to them, did not realize it was him. But secondly, in the resurrection, in the glorified body, what remains are the wounds of the cross, the nail marks in his hands, his feet, the side. But these other wounds on his face or on his body presumably are not there. That was just something I kind of marveled at, that the transformation of the three days of the resurrection. Secondly, today we heard about the Sabbath, something that we're familiar with, the fact that on Saturdays, the Jewish people did no work. In fact, I know some people in Green Bay that live next door to some Jewish people, and their neighbors actually ask them to, like, turn the stove on or turn on a light. And that's how seriously they take the Sabbath, that they don't do any manual work or anything of that sort. 
It's really a lesson for all of us as we observe Sunday, the day of the Lord now, because of the resurrection. How much work do we do on Sundays? Do we try to observe it as a day of rest, an imitation of God the Father, who rested on that day of creation? And then in the pronouncement that we heard today, the literal rendering of the sentence of death pronounced against Jesus of Nazareth, well, that date, the year of creation of the world, 5,233, the 25th day of March. The 25th day of March is Good Friday. And you might remember just not that long ago, March 25th and Good Friday coincided. And the significance, of course, being that March 25th is observed as the Annunciation of the Lord, the day in which he was announced to Our Lady. And so here you have him dying on that same day. The day in which the Word became flesh is the day in which our redemption has been won. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.